everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Controller One Gaming. I am your host, Pete Dorr, and in today's episode, I'm going to give a brief overview of basically what the show is about, and then I'm going to get right into the segments, because I don't feel that on the first episode of a show I should be here giving everybody like an autobiography about myself, so um, I'm going to save that for a later episode. So for now, I'll just explain to you why I did this podcast, and uh, first of all, I'm a huge gamer, so I've always wanted to voice my opinion on games in the past. I've made a lot of websites, which I had a lot of fun with years ago, and I recently tried to get into blogging, but I don't know, Just I just couldn't really get into it, like... Uh, I, I, I'd do one or two posts, and then I'd just lose interest in it. I really can't explain it. So, uh, a couple of months ago, though, I discovered podcasts for the first time, and uh, I was actually really impressed with how people from, like, anywhere in the world can just listen to these people's opinions about gaming and their lives and all. And uh, so... I just finally decided that I'm going to make my own and uh, talk about basically what I'm playing for the week or my opinions on some of the big news stories all over the web about games. And one thing that I think uh, a lot of gaming podcasts are missing are basically discussions about older or classic games for older systems. And uh, I'm a big a retro gamer myself, I have a lot of the older systems, so I'm going to make that a big part of the show to talk about uh, games from all the way back to Atari, uh, up to the Dreamcast and the PlayStation, Nintendo 64, uh, even systems you've probably never even heard of, like the Nuon, or systems that people despise and think are god-awful terrible, like the Jaguar or the 3DO, but I myself, I don't hate any of my systems, I even the Jaguar and 3DO, I, I love both of those systems. And um, uh, talking about systems, though, I have uh, I have the PlayStation 3, the Wii, and the Xbox 360. So none of my opinions are going to be like one-sided because I don't own that one other system. Um, and I, I think that's a problem with a lot of gaming podcasts: is they they talk about the PlayStation 3, but they don't actually own one. So uh, I'll be sure to give you my unbiased opinions uh, on all those systems. So basically how the show is going to work each episode is uh, I'll basically start off talking about what I played for the week, and then after that I'll get into some gaming news. And then for the end of the show I'm going to leave for my segments such as where I talk about older games, because I realize that not everybody is into older games, so basically if you don't want to hear about it you can just stop listening at that point. Um, I have some ideas on what segments I'm going to include with the show, but since this is my first podcast, I'm going to keep it simple at first, so uh, I'll be sure to talk about what other uh, segments in the show I'm going to include, but for now I'm just going to keep it simple with um, gaming news, what I'm playing, and uh, some talk about uh, some of the older games that I play. Um, And basically, this show isn't going to be about sports games or anything like that. I'm a big... RPG player, uh, platformers, adventure, and I'm a big fan of the like titles that not a lot of people played. Uh, I'm into art, so art and video games to me is a big uh, thing. Uh, some of my favorite video games ever are Eco on the PlayStation 2, the Klonoa series, Res on the PlayStation 2, uh, 
the Final Fantasy series, specifically 7 and 9. The Zelda games, uh, Mario, Sonic, not really so much the new Sonic stuff, I'm more into uh, Sonic Adventure and older. None of the, I'm not really into playing the newer stuff that they're coming out with for that series. Uh, let's see, uh, Shadow of the Colossus is another game that I like a lot. And there's a lot more that I'm just not mentioning now. I'll, I'm going to save those for a later time where I'll discuss them in uh, my classic gaming section. So, Alright, uh, I'll get into the first segment, which is basically what I've been playing for the week. And, uh, well, the game I've been playing the most is Dirt on the Xbox 360. And I'll tell you, I, I was never really a huge racing fan until I got an Xbox 360 and uh, played Ridge Racer 6, which to me was a lot of fun. I put a hundred hours, over a hundred hours in the Ridge Racer 6, basically because I'd never played an arcade racer prior to that, really, and I just loved the whole sliding around corners at like a hundred miles an hour. I'd never experienced that before uh, prior, because all the kind of racing games I used to play before that were like Mario Kart and, you know, stuff like that. So, now that I'm into the uh, traditional, more arcade racing games, uh, I decided to rent dirt, and uh, not really. I went into it not knowing too much about it. I had never played a rally racer before, so this was all new to me. I didn't know what to expect, and the first thing I realized is that this is the best-looking racing game on the Xbox 360, uh, and the racing games that I've played are uh, Project Gotham 3, Burnout. Uh, Most Wanted, Need for Speed, uh, Ridge Racer 6, of course. Um, I don't, I haven't played the retail version of Forza, basically because I don't like simulator racers. I'll just tell you that. I, I like arcade-style racers, but I do not like simulators, so I really can't compare it to Forza's visuals. But based on those other racing games, this is definitely the best-looking, um, Everything is like I play in I play in high res, so I don't I don't play on standard definition. But uh, the car models are really nice. Uh, this game is the first race game that I've played that has used such realistic damage modeling. Uh, like in prior racing games, if you crash into a wall, you're most likely not going to see any damage on your car. I mean, I know it's probably nothing new now in the racing newer racing games to see damage on your car, but this game takes it to like the most extreme realistic point that I've uh, seen in racing games. Uh, let's say you're going around a corner and you hit into the uh, bumper. Instead of it just remaining intact, the bumper will actually dent in depending on how fast you hit into it. And, of course, depending on what difficulty you play on, uh, you'll see more or less damage on your vehicle. And that's anything from busting out the windows on your car to uh, losing a bumper or you know, losing a door, uh, losing a whole side of your car, like, uh, I mean, they really went out of their way with this game to make it look believable. Um, the environments that you race on kind of get repetitive after a while. I mean, there's not a lot of urban locations. A lot of it is in the woods or in the desert. That's, that's like the two primary locations, or in the forest, and uh, with some... Uh, houses and villages around every now and then to differ things up. And then the other times you're like in canyon, dirt canyons racing around. And that's basically it. Um, I can't compare it to any other rally games since this is my first one, but 
based on what I seen, everything looked realistic. The shadows, uh, there's people in the crowd watching you every now and then. Um, overall, it looked really good. Um, but then, when it comes to the gameplay, this is where it caught me off guard. Um, basically because I didn't expect almost more than half the game to be time trials. And the first couple of races were really cool because it was like uh, regular racing against AI in like standard racing matches. But then as time went on, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess they just threw in a few time trials here and there. But then by like the second row of races, uh, I had done like five or six time trials. I was like, okay, something about this is wrong because in my racing games, I'm always used to having a, a separate time trial mode and a regular like racing mode. But in this game, they f- in order to beat the single player, they f- you're forced to play rally races, which are basically you racing on a single, often long course, against AI that you can't see, you just see their time. Now, a lot of you are probably like, Psh, man, you don't know nothing, because that's how rally races are, but... I'm sure there are people out there like me that haven't played any of these types of racing games and don't expect to go in and just keep on racing over and over against yourself, basically, in these invisible cars, and you just see their times that you're trying to beat. So that was a pretty big surprise to me, but I'll tell you, I I beat the game 100%, and it took me about 8 hours to finish just the single player, and the other like 2 hours that I put in was for the... Another game mode they have called Championship Mode, which is basically the same thing as single player and the online. Uh, and I'll get into the online in a bit. But single player took me eight hours, and it's just racing in buggies, rally cars, even big trucks, which you do a couple of races in. I'm not a big fan of that, but it was a good change of pace. Um, my favorite was racing in the rally cars and the rally races against. AI that you can actually see, because one of the best parts about this game is the AI is actually really, really good. Uh, not like most standard racing games where they're like, oh, you can tell they're on a distinct path like Ridge Racer. This game, they handle like real people. Uh, they'll be going around a corner, and if they hit into one of the other AI, they'll spin out. Or if they take a sh- turn too too sharp or too long, they'll hit the wall, and it doesn't happen a lot. It's not like the game is overly easy because of that, but when it does happen, you're like, wow, you can really appreciate the time that went into crafting these AI, and they're pretty vicious, too. Like, not, like, overly aggressive, like Burnout, but, you know, if you're racing a buggy and you hit into them and lock wheels, they'll try and push you off onto the side of the road to get you out of there, and basically, if, you, if you're playing on one of the harder difficulties and that happens, uh, you're going to have to restart the race. But uh, difficulty-wise, I played the, the single player the first time through on normal, and that was hard enough for me. Um, but then to unlock some of the achievements, I had to get a lot of money to buy the cars, so I went through and played it on the hardest difficulties when I was done, and that's where the game is ultra-realistic. Uh, normally on normal mode, you can uh, bang up your car quite a bit before you actually take terminal damage, which will force you to restart the race, because that's like crashing into a wall to the point of destroying your engine. But if you play on pro or veteran difficulty, uh, let's say you bang into a wall once, just like a, uh, a bumper or something around a corner, and you mess up your engine enough, 
you're, it might not give you terminal damage, but it'll give you enough damage that you're basically done with the rally or the race because your engine, you're, you're not fast enough to compete with the other racers. That's how the hardest difficulties are, where one little slip up and you're basically not going to come in first or finish at all. Uh, so yeah, veteran difficulty and pro difficulty, definitely for people that are looking for a very realistic challenge in a racing game. Um, the, the other mode that I talked about, championship mode, is basically an endurance uh, mode where you just keep on doing races over and over in like this one big event, trying to come out on top. I did three of those, but by the third one, which requires you to do 30 races before you finish it, I just gave up on there. Um, for the online mode, uh, I was really excited for this before I actually got the game because I heard that it was 100 players online. But don't let that fool you because it's not really that great. Um, instead of actually seeing the other racers, it's just like the rally mode in single player where you're racing against people's times. Yeah, there are no regular races in this. You'd never see your opponents. It's all racing against them in like time trial rally mode, which is a big disappointment. Yes, you can have 100 people per race, but that is just 100 people trying to beat each other's times in the same room. It was really a sad attempt at online, and I just went on to get a few achievements, and I can tell you that it has, like, no replayability. Uh, I don't know how people can actually play that online. It was a really poor excuse. So, that's basically the gist of the game. Um, I would say if you're a big racing fan, especially for rally games, this is, like, a no-brainer buy, even if the online is bad, because the game itself is done very well. Um, if you're like me and you've never played a rally game before, this is definitely a rent because it might be a big smack in the face to you when you find out that more than half the game are just time trials, which can get very repetitive over time. Um, if you have never played a racing game before, I would recommend to rent this well because uh, there, this game has a pretty steep learning curve to it. It's not like overly arcade it has some sim elements to it, like you can adjust your wheels and your suspension and all this stuff. I didn't do any of that, and I still beat the game just fine. But unless you're a big racing rally fan, then I would definitely say rent. I wouldn't pass up on the game. It's very well done. Um, so that's that's basically my preview of that game. Um, and the other game that I was playing a, a bit of uh, for the past week was... now. Forgive me for mispronouncing the name of this game, but you can't blame me. It's called, I think, Yigstra Union on Game Boy Advance, and it's spelled Y-G-G-D-R-A is the first word. So <laughs> if you know how to pronounce that word uh, correctly, just email me or something and let me know. But basically, this is a game by Atlas released on the Game Boy Advance in 2006. Um... The makers of Riviera, The Promised Land on Game Boy Advance also, which I was a big fan of that game. Uh, it's a strategy RPG where it has the standard tactical map, um, and you train your characters up you know, in the traditional way, beat the enemy, get experience. 
but the big surprise about this game is is uh, you actually don't have like hit points and magic points and everything like you'd expect from like Final Fantasy Tactics or something like that. Instead, each of your characters have a morale, and after each battle, like say you defeat an opponent badly enough that it it doesn't like you don't overkill them. It'll decrease their morale. Like say they have two thousand morale, and you beat them. Instead of like defeating the opponent entirely, it'll just drop their morale to like 1,000 or 900, and then they still live to fight again. Um, and that's how it is for you too, which can actually be pretty brutal. But I'll get into that later. But each each battle is like a mini war that unfolds that you can kind of control, even though it always feels like you're sort of like sitting in the back seat watching these, like, scripted battles unfold, but you can control things like go aggressive or get defensive, and later on in the game you can control when to use magic spells. But, um, it's, it's, it's a very challenging game in the fact that it doesn't have also the traditional, like, go to the shop and buy HP items, like potions or anything like that. Instead, the only way that you get items in this game are by defeating enemies on the field or going to certain, like, strategic points. Um, so the only way to recover your morale is to get these items called medallions, or you can use weapons to also recover morale, but they're so scarce that it's, uh, it's kind of over-challenging to the point where I want to stop playing because of that point, but it's challenging in a good way because after you defeat, like, one of the hour-plus-long battles, you really feel a sense of accomplishment, because of the challenging difficulty. Like, if your main character dies, there's usually usually two characters that if they die in the battle, the whole thing restarts. So say you're, like, 60 minutes into the battle and one of them dies, you start all the way back at the beginning. The game doesn't care if you're almost about to beat it. But the good thing about that is you keep all the experience or any all the levels that you gained and um, carry over every time that you have to repeat the battle. But another thing about this game is it's a semi-card battle game. I just I say that loosely because it's not like you know you're trading cards and you're it's not like a Pokemon game or anything like that with the cards and all that. Uh, but instead, uh, it that's how you use your magic. Each turn you can select one card, which determines the amount of movements up, that your characters can take, and they all share. Like say a card has six move on it. That means that for your turn, you can move your characters a total of six spaces. That doesn't mean each character. It means, like, move one character three spaces and another one three spaces. That's how it works out. They share the move total on the card. And each card has a set condition on it that uh, will allow you to use an ability or a spell in that battle. So, say the card says that you have to be wielding a sword in order to use this spell at this um, uh, certain time during the day. There's a day and night, noon cycle, and afternoon in this game. So, say the card says you have to be using a sword during noon in order to resurrect uh, your party members or something like that. So you actually have to you have to use it on a character that's using a sword, and you have to use it during that time of the night. And then during the battle, you'll be able to activate it after you build up a gauge. Um, it's stuff like this that you really have to plan ahead. It's not like the type of game where you can go in and just level your characters up and plow through the game. Uh, you really have to think ahead, and if you just go in and send whatever characters against uh, these characters and their morale goes low, 
you're just going to have to keep repeating the battle over and over and over until you finally get it. But you can also screw yourself over by completing a level and all of your characters have very low morale and you don't have if you don't have the items to to recover their morale, you're just going to go right into the next battle and basically die in a f- few minutes if unless you play really smart. So, and it'll force you to restart your game sadly. Uh the game lasts about 40 hours long. I'm 10 hours into it. Uh, I definitely want to finish it. But the thing is, I'm just afraid of getting screwed over with something like that. Um, the game's visuals themselves are probably like behind Golden Sun, maybe. It's probably the best-looking Game Boy Advance game out there. The screen is filled with animated sprites and... Uh, it's just, there's a lot of colors. It looks a little clustered the first time you look at it. There's a lot of menus, and I mean, if anybody's ever played Riviera, they 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 kind of know the style that this game will have. But it looks very good, and the music is not bad at all. The only thing is the tactical map is kind of like I don't know, blah. It's kind of lacking. Uh, it's sort of like you know, uh, Fire Emblem, but other than that, this is a very solid game. Uh, it might be a bit hard to track down because Atlas is known for releasing games in very limited quantities. Um, it's, I, I've only seen this game once at uh, a GameStop, and I picked it up for 30 bucks. New, not sealed though. Um, but it was it was hard to track down in my area. Other people have reported seeing it in a couple of stores in their area. Um, but for any of you game collectors out there, this will definitely be a future rarity. And it will go up in price. It already fetches like $45 for a complete copy on eBay. So that's definitely something to look out for. Uh, and what else have I been playing? I went out to the mall yesterday. Uh, and I planned on picking up like Planet Puzzle League for the DS or Etrian Odyssey for the DS. But I wimped out because I'll tell you, I'm, not, I'm undecided on those two games. And I decided to buy Romancing Saga on the PlayStation 2. Uh, it's a role-playing game by Square Enix, and I have the Saga Frontier and Saga Frontier 2, as well as Unlimited Saga for, for the series, and I'll tell you, I've never played any three of those games for that long. Unlimited Saga itself is pretty bad. Uh, Saga Frontier 2, I played it a little bit, not much though. Uh, Saga Frontier 1, I haven't even played it. Um, but this one, I picked it up because I've somebody told me once that it's a very good game, despite the bad reviews, so I decided to pick it up. Um, I played it for about an hour. Uh, I, it allows you to pick between eight characters right from the start, so I picked the third one in, and it basically thrust me right into this game with like two sentences of backstory on the character, and threw me right into a town with like no money, and didn't tell me what to do. And I just set out onto the world map and got into a fight with a monster, got my butt whooped because it killed my characters in one hit. Uh, So I figured, okay, I'm doing something wrong here. So I went back out, did some exploring, got into a cave, got lost in the cave because it has no map and the camera was terrible. Uh, So I did some battles and I said, okay, maybe I did something wrong here. I'll switch to another character. So I picked the first character on the list, and um, it it still did the like few sentence story setup, and uh, it told me to get equipped and go downstairs, you know, something like that, and see the 
I was like this prince in a castle or something. So I, I was like, okay, I guess I'm equipped. I go all the way downstairs, and I'm told, you're not equipped, go get equipped. And I'm like, oh my god, because the game didn't have a map, and I had no idea how I got from the top to the bottom. So right there is when I shut the game off. Um, I'm definitely not going to just let it sit there. I'm going to try it again. But I just got aggravated with it because it has its flaws, but it also has its charms. Because the game does have a very odd but appealing art style. The characters are like way super deformed. Like the girl characters have like these big muscular shoulders and bodies. I mean, they look really weird, but it sort of has this watercolor-esque backdrops. And the characters are kind of like, I don't know, they're not cell shaded, but they have a stylized... Uh, coloring to them. Uh, I actually did kind of like the way the game was set up with how the characters can take on character classes and learn moves, you know, sort of like a traditional RPG. But that's kind of, that's uh, what I like my traditional RPGs is like job classes. The battles were, they seem pretty well done, even though all I could do in the beginning was just attack with melee. I couldn't even figure out how to uh, cast magic with my one magic user. Um... Oh, I I picked it up though because it was fifteen dollars, and being a game collector such as myself, it's hard for me to pass up an RPG that I don't have for fifteen dollars. Um, I'm definitely not disappointed with my purchase. Uh, I think I might actually turn out to like this game. I just got to give it a better chance. So I'll be sure to report back on that once I give it more playtime. And the last thing I played was the demo for Band of Bugs on Xbox Live, which is the Wednesday release for their arcade titles. Um, I didn't buy it because, honestly, I I buy a lot of arcade games on there, and I'm just finding it hard to justify paying 800 points for, like, almost every game that they put out there. Uh, But this is a a very noob-friendly tactical RPG with bugs. I actually like the demo. You know, it it uses these cartoonish-style uh, bugs, and <laughs> it's like Final Fantasy Tactics Lite. It, the characters don't have levels or anything like that. Supposedly, as you progress through the game, you just get more and more characters. Um, it's like, it has the traditional grid-based uh, gameplay where you move them space by space, and you go over and you whack the guy for critical damage, or you don't, with all these modifiers and everything like that. It's very simple, um, I don't think I'm going to buy it, even though it has some Xbox Live support, which I'm a big fan of for arcade games. But, uh, I, th- I don't know. It's like, it's a little bit too simplistic for a tactical RPG for me. Because when I play my tactical RPGs, I like them, like Final Fantasy Tactics, or Yggdra Union, stuff like that. So, this is a pass for me. I might buy it in the future, but with arcade titles like Bomberman Live coming out next month, I just don't see myself buying it anytime soon. Okay, so that's basically what I played this week. And uh, next week, I'm sure I'm going to play a lot of different games. Some of the same. I'm returning Dirt. And coming in the mail to me right now from Gamefly is The Darkness. So I'll definitely have a day or two's worth impressions on that game to bring to you. Okay, now we're going to get into the next segment, Gaming News. News. Okay, and the 
first news story that I want to get into is Nintendo plans on offering original games for download on their virtual store. This news story comes from GameSpot. And starting next year, Nintendo plans to offer Wii owners original game content via the internet. The new initiative called WiiWare gives developers the ability to develop and release games for download in the same fashion as the PlayStation Store and Xbox Live Arcade. WiiWare games will be sold over the current Wii Shop channel from the system menu. Prices will be dictated by Nintendo with the suggestion from developers and publishers. Okay, so maybe this means now that instead of getting just the standard Pac-Man and, you know, Zelda and Mario games out there. Uh, it's it's going to give independent and, like, indie developers the chance to publish games that take advantage of the Wii Remote. Like, uh, instead of playing uh, traditional Pac-Man, maybe instead there'll be a Pac-Man clone where you control the Pac-Man with the Wii Remote. I don't know. But basically, it's going to be like Xbox Live Arcade where original games come out for the system. And I'm guessing that every one of them is going to take advantage of the Wii Remote's uh, motion sensing. So uh, that's pretty interesting because, in my opinion, the the virtual console is it's a neat idea. I mean, I love how they come out with games every week, but they don't... It's not, I don't know, it's Xbox Live Arcade with the online play and different games. It's more compelling to me than paying mostly overpriced for games that A, I either either already have, or B, that people can just go right on the eBay and buy the actual carts themselves to play. I mean, I know some people don't feel like going doing that and everything. That's fine, then the virtual console is perfect for them, but... I this is just what uh, the Wii needs is some original games on there. Hopefully, I I'm I'm gonna guess not though. I don't think they're gonna include online play. And even if they did, it would be wrecked with that cumbersome Wii friend code stuff. So it might just be best to leave them to single player only. Um, and in terms of them doing their own prices, I guess if a game takes ten minutes to beat. It'll cost, I don't know, 400 points. If it lasts a couple of hours, it might cost 600 points. I don't know myself because I don't download on the virtual console, but I just thought that this would be uh, a good bit of news for any Wii fans out there. Okay, The next news story comes from Destructoid.com, and it's in regards to the Final Fantasy re-release on the PSP. Um, here's the quote. As... As you may or may not have heard, June 26th was the day that Square Enix released the 20th anniversary edition of Final Fantasy 1 for the PSP. To commemorate the occasion, the fine folks at the PlayStation Store located in sunny, crossed out, San Francisco hosted an event for the fans of the long-running series. The first 100 people in line to buy the game were guaranteed an extra piece of swag along with their purchase. Not to mention being part of the gazillion people to buy Final, Final Fantasy 1 again. Um, my thoughts on this is Final Fantasy game new releases for the series are always going to draw crowds, even if it's a re-release of a game that's, like, over 20 years old now. I mean, I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan, but I'll tell you, I am not buying this game until it comes down in price. $30 is just way too much money to spend on another 
remake of this game. I mean, sure, it's not just a street port. It got the revamped graphics and all that stuff. But I already bought, I already bought Final Fantasy one and two on Game Boy Advance. I already bought Final Fantasy one and two on Origins. And the thing is, this isn't even Final Fantasy one and two. It's Final Fantasy one. Final Fantasy two is separate, which comes out next month, uh, and it's thirty dollars. So it's kind of a lot of money just to pay for. A slight graphical update on this very old and you have to admit dated game now I mean yeah it's Final Fantasy but it's so I don't know I just have a hard time going back playing a game such as that where after you play it once I mean playing it again it's kind of rough I mean with the RPGs that we have today it it's kind of in the shadows I mean it'll always go down in history is one of the like the first groundbreaking RPG, especially for Nintendo. But now, maybe if it was even more budgeted, at like fifteen or twenty dollars, or if it was bundled with Final Fantasy Two, I'd probably pick it up in a heartbeat. But it's I don't know. It's I'm gonna pass on it for now until I can get it for much cheaper. Uh, and for those of you that didn't even know about the remake that was coming out, that's basically just what it is, a graphical update of the original Final Fantasy. The next bit of news comes from PS3Fanboy.com in regards to Resistance finally getting the update that was promised, uh, I think, like, (laughs) a couple of weeks ago, maybe. Um, But here's the quote. After a seemingly endless amount of delays, the much-anticipated Resistance Full of Mint update will be hitting the PS3 this Friday. In preparation for this, Insomniac will be taking down the online servers starting at 2.30 a.m. UK time, while they work on integrating the servers for international online play. That night, the servers should be back online, and people will be able to connect to them and download the update. Coming alongside the update is the Resistance Map Pack, with two new multiplayer maps available for purchase. At this point, it's not confirmed that Resistance Update will be available worldwide by this Friday, or if it's going to be rolled out first to the UK and then here and Japan. We'll update this post as soon as we know more. End quote. And I'll be sure to check back and make sure, because uh, I have Resistance for PS3. I haven't played it in quite some time, but I'll tell you, the multiplayer in that game is very good. Uh, Two new maps is also huge, because the maps that are already in the game are very big, and they break them down into like individual little levels, depending on how many people you have in the game. So that's definitely something to look out for for your PS3 owner. Uh, and my quick thoughts on Resistance is it's still definitely probably the best PS3 game out there. Uh, it's not... I don't think it's that innovative, but the online sets it apart for console first-person shooters. I mean, the amount of chaos that goes on in that game online is quite astounding. And the final piece of news that I have before I move on to the next segment is from PlanetXbox360.com. It's regarding the new Grand Theft Auto 4 trailer that's coming out this week. Here's the quote. On Thursday, June 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern, gamers will be able to download Rockstar Games' Grand Theft Auto 4 trailer, looking for that special someone, end quote, on Xbox.com. In high definition on Xbox Live Marketplace at rockstargames.com slash 4. And on Planet Xbox 360. This will be the second trailer for the highly anticipated title slated for release on 19th of October on Xbox 360. The first trailer released in March 
whetted the appetites of millions of gamers worldwide with the first peek at the epic title from Rockstar Games. The Grand Theft Auto 4 trailer was one of the most downloaded trailers to date on Xbox Live Marketplace. To celebrate the release of the second trailer, Xbox 360 gamers will be able to download the exclusive Grand Theft Auto 4 theme and picks from Xbox Live Marketplace. And that's the end of that quote. Uh, my opinion on this is Grand Theft Auto 4 is definitely a big game that's coming out. The first trailer was definitely a teaser trailer. I mean, they didn't show off any gameplay at all, so I'm sure this one will get a bigger glimpse into it. Um, I myself aren't a huge fan of the Grand Theft Auto series, but I know a lot of people are, and I wasn't aware that the new trailer was coming out tomorrow already. Um, I'm just interested to see what they do that separates it from like Grand Theft Auto 3 or San Andreas and stuff like that. Uh, I do know that Xbox and Microsoft paid $50 million to secure exclusive downloadable content uh, apart from the PS3 version, which won't have that. A very smart move by Microsoft because, you know, being the series that this is, I imagine that whatever they release for, people are going to buy. And if they release one download for 800 points, which is $10, and I'm telling you, they'll make that $50 million back in no time. And they'll just keep releasing content, and they'll make a huge profit. But I'm sure all the Grand Theft Auto fans are very, uh, looking forward to this trailer very much. I myself am, because... I like sandbox games. I'm just not a big fan of Grand Theft Auto. The way that the series has been going, like Grand Theft Auto 3, I thought was pretty great. But you know, with Vice City and San Andreas, I don't know. I just get, didn't get into them much. So this might be a time for me to look back into this series. Okay, so I'm gonna get into the final segment for this episode, at least, uh, and this is where I choose one, maybe more in the future, uh, classic game to talk about, and I'll give you my impressions on what I think of it. So let's get right into it. The game I'm going to be talking about this week is Zombies Ate My Neighbors, released in 1993 on the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, and it's developed by LucasArts and made by Konami. Um, the reason why this game is so special to me is because I grew up playing this game with my dad uh, on the Genesis and co-op, and it's really a, a two-player game. I mean, single-player is great. Uh, two, uh, two players, really, how you have to experience this game. Uh, the basic gameplay is it's a top-down shooter with um, monsters from all different types of movies. Like, each level, you there's, like, a different theme from a popular uh, horror movie from, like, from years past. Like, the first level is sort of like Night of the Living Dead, where your home is being invaded by zombies, and then the next level, you'll be in a shopping mall being invaded by zombies, like Dawn of the Dead, and then it go it gets really far fetched as to being invaded by you're fighting off aliens that are invading the towns or you're fighting a giant baby or you're going to Dracula's castle and killing Frankenstein the werewolf Dracula himself uh, there's enemies like blobs like uh, and 
creatures from the lagoon, and Jason with his chainsaw. I mean, they got little voodoo dolls that resemble Chucky. I mean, they got every everything that you can think of to like pay homage to classic horror movies, and it's sort of like a spoof. Um, so you go through the levels. Basically, you're rescuing people that are hanging around the levels for bonus points. Um, and, I mean, there's boss characters every now at the end of some levels. Uh, the game is really long, and like most older games, there's no save system. So, I mean, I, personally, I, me and my dad, we never beat it. And I'm talking about like 10 years ago, maybe more. Uh, but we could never save, so we'd have to sit down for like two hours at a time. And some of the later levels are very, very hard. Specifically, if anybody remembers the one where it, it's like the movie Tremors with the giant worms and the sand and everything, that level was one of the harder ones for us. Um, another thing that made the game unique was its weapons. Like it's not you know standard machine guns and everything you were using water guns, and soda cans, and mine sweepers. I mean. Uh, Toy clowns as decoys, and the thing is that what made the game really fun is finding out which enemies were weak to certain weapons. Like, for instance, uh, certain—I I don't exactly remember because uh, it's been a long time since I played it. But say one enemy is really tough and you need something to distract them, then you would use the clown to play as a decoy while you shoot them. Uh, other enemies would be weak against the water gun. Uh, other ones would be really weak against the soda cans and other ones, you know, every every enemy had its weakness to certain weapons, and the thing was trying to find those weapons throughout the level to be able to use them. Uh, the level designs themselves were really clever, you know, it's not, not too repetitive, I mean, there were a lot of hidden things, items that allow you to turn into monsters temporarily, uh, and really, the game was just designed well on top of fairly good graphics for the time and another good thing about the game was the music itself which you can hear the theme song playing in the background right now uh, each level had like you know uh, a suiting theme to go along with the with the level theme itself so um, for those of you out there that don't like emulate older games you can easily track this down on eBay probably I can't tell you which is the superior... I have, I own the Super Nintendo and Genesis version, but honestly, I haven't even played the Super Nintendo one. Uh, but my guess would be the superior version might be the Super Nintendo one, because you might get maybe a little bit better color out of it. I'm not sure. Really, I'm, I don't think it would matter. Um, the demand for the game might have went up recently, because a game on the Xbox 360 called Monster Madness was released, and that's really sort of the closest thing that we've had to a true sequel of Zombies Ate My Neighbors uh, in a very, very long time. The only other attempt at that was School Patrol, which was the unofficial sequel, which I haven't played, but I've heard it's not that great. So the, with the with this new game released on Xbox, which I'm probably going to talk about in next week's episode, uh, it might have renewed people's interest in the original Zombies Ate My Neighbors because it, it pays a lot of homage to... Zombies Ate My Neighbors in the sense that it has a lot of Easter eggs and very similar uh, level levels to the game and everything. I don't know. Really, you have to play the original Zombies. Uh, if you've never heard of this game before and think the title just sounds weird as heck, I mean, it is. The game is like 
a comedy horror game. You can't go and taking it seriously. If you love horror movies, you definitely have to play this game. Um, so that's about it for the for this. What I have to say about this game, uh, I'm running a little bit longer than I wanted to, so maybe in the uh, the next weeks or weeks to come, uh, I might do two retro games instead of just one. Uh, this episode, I'm basically just practicing around with learning how to do podcasts. Uh, namely, I, you might have noticed like some clipping during the episode. That was me doing some editing because I'm just getting used to this auto audio editing program that I have, so you have to bear with me. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically the end of the show. Uh, I'm gonna next week. I'm gonna be a little bit more experienced with what the heck is going on here. So uh, I'm sure the editing will be a little bit better, uh, and the sound levels. If there's anything wrong, like if you notice that there's anything I'm doing wrong, maybe the sound levels are a little off for the sound clips. Just email me and let me know and I'll try and fix that. Uh, also, if you think the show is too long, too short, if I'm boring, if you lo- enjoy the show, uh, any segments that you might want in it, any questions, uh, any retro classic games, modern games that you might want me to talk about or rent, feel free to do that. I do realize that it's hard to get new listeners for new podcasts, so I'm really going to do my best to spread the word. I mean, I realize a lot of people... There's a lot of gaming podcasts out there, and I'm not going to tell you why you should subscribe to mine over all the other ones. I mean, that's up to you. Uh, but I'm just going to do my best. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to buy a domain for the site. Right now, I have a website up for it, but it's I'm still working on it, which is... Uh, I'm not going to post a link to it yet until I basically have have it up and running for what I want to do with it. But if you want to contact me, you can email me at pdor3, that's P-D-O-R-R-3, at yahoo.com. Or you can send me a message on Xbox Live. My gamer tag is Pete Dor, same spelling on that. And then you can also instant message me on AOL. My my, uh, name on there is Reverie Gamer, R-E-V-E-R-I-E Gamer. and that's basically the best ways to get in touch with me right now. So, I thank you for listening. Um, I hope you come back next week. And for those of you, I'm going to try and get the show on iTunes, so eventually you'll be able to, le- to leave reviews and whatnot. Um, I'd also like to thank the podcast that inspired me to start podcasting in the first place, which would be allgames.com, specifically All Games Interactive. Uh, the Video Game Outsiders, and Ultimate Quest. And the addresses for those are allgames.com, videogameoutsiders.com, and podcast at rpgods.net. So I hope to see you all next week, and thank you for tuning in. This has been Pete Dore on June 27th, 2007, and I'll see you next week.